Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports, objective insight, expertise, top guests, available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now, today, Hooker. Ready. Here we go. Loaded up. Hope you had a great weekend. Good morning to the message board, including you, Travis. Go ahead and get on board. Click that like button so we can bring some more people in. If you haven't subscribed yet, do that because we got some Travises and Steve Johnson coming up from the Celebrate 98 series. Travis Stevens, Travis Henry will join us. And Steve Johnson, the other cornerback that uh, you should remember, caught the interception that ended the national championship game played opposite Dwayne Goodrich and of course behind him was Fred White who joins me in each and every one of the Celebrate 98 series and we'll visit with Dion Grant before too terribly long looking forward to that so a new video from Cooper Mays as well talking about uh, guns and why Josh Heupel doesn't believe that they should be a part of Tennessee's football universe. I get to that today if we have time. Best and worst case scenario for the balls. How about Joe Milton and Dante Thornton getting some love via on three top 100 players on the list? That's pretty crazy for kind of a first year transfer. I know two years ago he, he started, or kind of a first year starter, excuse me, and a transfer. And Dante Thornton. So Milton started a couple years ago, but now he's the man. He makes the top 100 list. Dante Thornton transfers 
So those that didn't watch the Ducks last year, you get an idea of what type of impact player that we've been talking about for quite some time. Jim Ursay may be on the bottle again, but we'll discuss that. And also the tie between one Jim Brown and Johnny Majors that's pretty interesting. And an overreaction to Georgia football and why they will not compete for a third straight championship. And that's not me saying that. That's Mark Schleybaugh, who has covered the University of Georgia for quite some time. So here we go. We're off and rolling. How are you, Caleb Calhoun? I'm doing good. How are you doing this Monday morning, Dave? I'm well. Birthday celebration over the weekend. Did you do anything too wild? <laughs> You'll love this. Your audience will love this. For for. For, for my own personal health reasons, I had not drank for two weeks. I just had chosen not to. Just kind of did a little bit of dry spell. And yep. then I'm like, all right, I'll drink for a cookout on Saturday. And I, I forgot how much of a lightweight it makes you when you go a long period without drinking. And yes. yeah, I paid for it. Like, I was casually drinking, and I paid for it. <laughs> Especially if you're out in the sun. Which I was. And, yeah, which you probably were. And by the way, can we get one sunny weekend? Can we do that, please? All right, so here we go. Good morning to you, David. Let's get off and running right now as best and worst case scenario for Tennessee. 247 Senate, 247 Sports has 11 and 1 or 8 and 4. So no in between. I'm not saying, oh, I think they'll win 9 or 10. No, you can't do that. Let's go ahead and get it to uh, today's tough question. We'll get your thoughts on the message board as 11 and 4, or 11 and 1, 8 and 4. Must be first of the week for me. Here we go. It is today's tough question, and it's brought to you by our friend Andy Mason at andymasonrealestate.com. Today's tough question. Take a side, take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right, so here we go. 11 and 1 or 8 and 4. What say you, Caleb Calhoun? This is according to 247 Sports. Best and worst case scenario for every SEC team. We'll touch base on some others as well. Brought to you by Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com. Pretty simple. Best service, best prices in the biz. That's why he's been doing it for 40 years. That office has a ton of experience. Go to andymasonrealestate.com. That's where I'll be going very soon to find my home, save thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. So I make you pick 11 and 1 or 8 and 4. Kudos to 247 Sports because those would be the numbers I would pick if we were doing best and worst case scenario and you had to pick between one or the other. So, if you had to pick between one or the other, are you going 11 and one or eight and four? Caleb Calhoun for the Vols. Then we'll break down the rest of the SEC or at least the pertinent teams. Sorry, no time for Vanderbilt. 11 and one, eight and four. What do you got going, Caleb Calhoun? Well, if I'm left with those two options, I'm going 11 and one. I, I don't, I, I would be shocked to see eight and four. Now, Brad Crawford in, in this article has predicted nine and three. He's predicted it's six and zero Tennessee start. If Tennessee starts six and zero, I'm pretty sure they're winning at least ten regular season games. I'm just going to say that out, out front. I think what what his prediction is that they lose to Alabama and Georgia, but then they also suffer a, a trap game loss to Missouri. 
I don't think Missouri is this much of a trap game the way people say it is. And I don't think you think it is either, Dave. It's I, I you'd have to have another trap game too, or an upset well, game at least. Missouri's right? right before Georgia, so uh, but I'm missing one. I got Georgia, Alabama, Missouri. Kentucky is the other trap game. Okay. All right. Um, I think Kentucky is a scary trap game. Okay. And if I had to pick on a pessimistic side. I would say this is a three-loss team for Tennessee, and I would say Kentucky, Kentucky, Alabama, and Georgia for different reasons. Kentucky is the trap game. Alabama is the revenge game on their side. It's down there. And Georgia is the best program in the nation. Georgia's Georgia. What's that? I said, you might. yeah, Georgia's just Georgia. Georgia's just Georgia. But to get to four is really difficult. Um, he says Missouri, and that's going to be a revenge game for them. I just I don't like their program and talent level as a whole. So I'm 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 having trouble with that one. If it's not Missouri, who else could get the balls to four losses? Could maybe Anybody Florida? Yeah, maybe Florida. Since since it's I mean again, that's just it's Tennessee, Florida, and it's you know it's I mean at, until last year, we have to be honest. Like Tennessee, Florida. Florida was almost to Tennessee what Tennessee was to Kentucky. I mean, it's almost gotten at that level where there have been years in the past 10 years where Kentucky was the better team, but they still can't beat Tennessee. And, I mean, I know I, last year notwithstanding, Dave, would you not have said the same thing about Florida? That Tennessee is basically their Kentucky? <laughs> um, Tennessee is their – that they – I'm not exactly following you there. What do you mean by Tennessee? So with Tennessee and Kentucky, no matter how good Kentucky is or no matter how bad Tennessee is, they went five. Tennessee beats them. Tennessee went five and seven in 2018. Kentucky was 10 and three. Tennessee still beat Kentucky. They went seven and six in 2021. Kentucky went 10 and three. Tennessee beat Kentucky. And, And it seemed like Tennessee and Florida had almost reached that level of disparity until that until last year. No, that's fair. I see where you're going there. Uh, Travis says 11 and one. I'm not surprised, Travis, you are a Tennessee fan. What about the rest of the message board? If you had to pick 11 and one or eight and four, or we can open it up. We wanted to address this column by Brad and, but we can open it up to what you expect and what would be a successful season as we go through some of the rest of uh, the SEC. And when I look at the, the rest of the SEC, I want to take a look at Missouri first because this is the easiest one to me. It's eight and four or four and eight. I think the bottom could easily drop out, and this could be a four and eight team. So these are, are supposed to be very difficult, and they all are because you take it one step further as far as one more win, one more loss, best worst can, case scenario. That's what they're supposed to be. Four and eight seems plausible for Missouri to me. That would not stun me whatsoever. You know, it kind of would me. Dave, I, I get your feelings on Drinkwitz and everything, but I think we're forgetting Missouri had, what was it, three of the flukiest losses in history last year, that Auburn law. You know, they went six and six, and they, they should have gone nine and three. I mean, there was a terrible non-fall start call that cost them against Georgia. There was that, I mean, the, that Auburn game may be the flukiest game in the history of college football. And I, there was one more that they should have won. But, you know, when you go back and look, you're thinking, wow, they could have been 9-3. and three. So looking at their schedule now, they have South Dakota and Middle Tennessee at home to start the year. They also have Memphis and St. Louis. I think they beat Memphis. I know they beat South Dakota and Middle Tennessee. And then there's Kansas State at home. I know Kansas State blew them out last year, but they could beat Kansas State. So they could easily start 4-0. And then they got Vanderbilt on the road. 
look, they could be five and zero heading into October. Fair. This best and worst case scenario for Kentucky: nine and three, five and seven. Nine and three's doable. If I had to pick between the two, I would go nine and three. I think that Will Levis's injuries. I don't want to turn this into another Will Levis bashing segment, which we've had plenty of those. But his injuries certainly uh, were in the way for Kentucky last year. So I wouldn't be stunned at all to see Kentucky get to a nine and three level. Are we sure that 10 and two is not their best case scenario? I mean, I'm looking now, they got Georgia and Alabama. Who else is a sure loss for them? I mean, I I think that's a solid program. I don't know you're going to see many of these programs with NIL in the future, but right now I think it's a very solid program with a foundational base of high school guys that develop over time. You might not see those type of successful programs moving forward with transfer portals being wide open, but right now, yeah, I don't think that's impossible. But because of the Lane Kiffin time, let's throw in 10 and 2, 6 and 6. I'll say this. This this is the one team I absolutely would not gamble on. Ole Miss because, you're talking about, right? Yes, what did I say? You just had Lane Kiffin time. We hadn't gone to Ole Miss yeah. yet. Ole Miss. Ole Miss 10 and 2, 6 and 6. I, I, this is the one team I wouldn't gamble on because he's relying on the transfer portal. So neither would surprise me. He could have transfer portal guys that don't pan out. You could have transfer portal guys that do pan out. So 10 and 2 is possible. 6 and 6 is possible. I would never take the over under on an Ole Miss team because of how much the Rebels are depending on a transfer portal. I agree. I'm with you all the way. Do you think there's ever a possibility, Lane Kiffin? Do you think Lane Kiffin will always be in that 10 and 2 to 6 and 6 range at Ole Miss? Like, do you think there's ever a possibility he sneaks through and wins the West one year? If Nick Saban retires. But you think uh, you can get past Brian Kelly and LSU? <laughs> I mean, no, that was just one of the stipulations. Uh, so, no, I don't think you can at Ole Miss. I don't, I don't think that's possible, but we'll, we'll see. So, this is in the 90s where Wayne Mackin led Mississippi State to the SEC West title in 1998. Yeah. And then you got Florida at nine and three, four and eight. Now, if that's the worst case scenario of four and eight, they need to make a coaching change after two years. Yeah, that's a that's a big deal if they go four and eight this year. And this is something that, you know, we've had John Adams on before, and he talks about how Billy Napier was hired to be a program runner, not necessarily an in-game X's and O's game planner, which is what Dan Mullen was. Well, if you are a program runner, you can't have such a drop-off your second year on the job. That's like rule number one of being a program runner. So you're right. If they go four and eight, then they need to they're gonna have to move fast and I mean, it seems like Billy Napier is already coaching on the hot seat, which is crazy. Yeah, I don't know if he's a sociopath like Butch Jones, but this feels like a Butch Jones type of coach. All right, uh, Texas A&M, best case scenario is 10-2, and 5-7. and seven. I think you're going to say 5-7 and seven if you had to pick between the two. I don't think this is extreme enough. It's 3-9, and nine, guys. They're going 3-9. Yeah, and nine. Yeah, I'm with you. LSU, I'm just hitting the highlights. 12-0. and 0. Uh, would be best case scenario. Worst case scenario would be eight and four. If eight and four was the over under out of Vegas, I'd take the over and feel good about it. Oh my God. I'd put a ton of money on that. Yeah. They're again, outside of Alabama on the road, who's LSU losing to this year? 
I mean, let's call it – Dave, you and I both agree, right? They're not losing to Florida State to open the year. That was a fluke loss last year. The LSU team is way better, and Florida State's way overrated. I think LSU blows them out. Now, this one's interesting to me. The next two, Alabama and Georgia. Best-case scenario for Alabama is 12-0. Worst case is 9-3. and I think as long as Nick Saban's there, best-case scenario is always 12-0. and Nine and three would stun me if he made a dip into that regard. Um, if he had two by his standards off seasons, uh, bad seasons, I would be very, very surprised. I don't know if they're going to go 12 and oh, that takes some luck, but I, if I had to pick between the two and no, I'd go 12 and oh, you. There's only one reason nine and three would stun me, Dave, because all things being equal, I would pick Alabama to go nine and three, but they get a massive break this year, which is that their toughest games, Tennessee and LSU, are at home. And I think that if they were playing those teams on the road like last year, I would have said take nine and three in a heartbeat. And I actually would have put eight and four on the table for Alabama. But I, because again, I do think they're rebuilding this year. But yeah, they're not, I think Texas is overrated. They're not losing to Texas at home. Their, their third toughest game is Ole Miss, by the way, and that's also at home. So, again, their only tough road games, their toughest road game is Kentucky or Auburn. I mean, they're, they're not losing to Kentucky or Auburn. No. And I'm going to tweak this this last one a little bit. Brad has – Brad Crawford at 247 Sports has best-case scenario for Georgia at 12-0, and of course. Worst case at 10-2. and So, let's take a look at Georgia's schedule real quick. Uh, they're going to beat UT Martin. They're going to beat uh, Ball State. Then they got South Carolina. They got UAB. Auburn, which is at Auburn. Uh, Kentucky, uh, which is at home. Vanderbilt, it doesn't matter. Florida is, of course, in Jacksonville. Missouri uh, will be at home. Then Ole Miss at home. Tennessee, of course, in Knoxville. And then Georgia Tech. I have trouble seeing them losing two games out of that schedule. But I also think that they're, although I like Carson Beck and I've heard nothing but great things about him, I'm just going to be real frank with you. There always could be a quarterback blow up. Okay, I mean, there there could be a quarterback explosion. It happened at Tennessee in 2005. So if I had to choose between the two, I'm taking the two losses. I mean, because Carson Beck may roll out there and be the next great quarterback of all time. But until I see it, I don't know it. And I also think that Georgia last year, by the same players, a lot of the same players that will lead them this year, got complacent at times so they could slip up and lose one. So, yeah, I get it. They could win a championship. They're the best program going right now in college football, but it wouldn't stun me if they lost two games. Me neither. Me. Also, I'm going to do a stat for you real quick because if they went 12 and 0, they would they that would make three straight undefeated regular seasons. I think Tennessee is the last team to do that in the SEC. They did it in from 1938 to 1940. I don't think anybody's done it since then. Um, so three straight undefeated regular seasons in the SEC. Interesting. Uh, Gene, tell me if my echo's gone away. I think I had my uh, headphones blasting a little bit too much. Here's the thing that Travis brings up that's very insightful. Chemistry is underrated. It's hard to have good chemistry running in new players all the time. Amen. 
And you want to think that this Tennessee team will have great chemistry because they did last year. It, it doesn't work that way in football, guys. I've been around it a quarter of a century. Every year is different. Okay, so Tennessee, Georgia, name any of the other teams that were surprisingly successful or were just very elite successful. I take Southern California, take TCU. <clears throat> they could have 75% of the same dudes back, and you cannot guarantee that the chemistry is going to be the same or better just because – there are same dudes there. I'm telling you, it could be as simple as maybe Hendon Hooker was the special leader. And I think Joe Milton from everybody I talked to is going to be a great leader. Maybe Stetson Bennett's arrogance was a good thing for Georgia. Um, Maybe Caleb Williams and surprising people. There's a, there's a mindset that uh, Southern California there's a mindset that goes into each and every year, and it's not duplicatable. I don't know if duplicatable is a word, but you can't duplicate it from year to year. So Tennessee can't magically have great chemistry. Georgia can't magically have this clutch gene where they can overcome stuff. It doesn't just happen year to year. I've seen guys with champ. I've seen teams with championship mentalities that have come back the next year. Tennessee's a prime example. Oh four, oh five. That came back the next year, and something chemistry-wise got in the way, and suddenly they were a little bit more okay with losing than they were the year to four. People saying it's the same team other than Joe Milton. No, it's not, and that's a big change in and of itself. So we don't know the chemistry there. So what do you do in that regard? You bet on the coaches that have done it from year to year. You bet on the Sabans. Now I think the Smarts in that level – I think you bet on the Lincoln Rileys, who even though he, he even though he probably should have another championship, has shown that his teams are going to compete for a championship year in and year out. So that that chemistry, man, I'm just I promise you, you can't just magically replicate that, Caleb. So at that point, I tend to gamble on the coaches. And you don't even have to do 0405. You can go ninety eight to ninety nine, Tennessee. I mean ninety nine returned almost everybody. But not having Al Wilson on the defense meant was a little bit of a difference. Uh, not having Peerless Price, not having Jeff Hall, who, for those who don't know, Jeff Hall was a kicker and was elected team captain. That never happens in football. <laughs> well, and I'm not going to say this in front of in front of Fred Wyatt because he might beat me up. But the '99 team, based off what they did in '98, was probably a little too cocky. You're thinking you got Jamal Lewis back, T. Martin. They're going to let him. They're going to let him do more things. The defense is going to be dominant. Most of everybody returns. They were probably a little cocky in '99, whereas in '98 they were the exact opposite. They felt like everybody hated them, so let's prove something. There was that type of mentality. Again, please, no one, tell Fred White that I said that because he could beat me up. Well, it was a mixture. I remember reading. So some were cocky, but I do know some were determined because a lot of them took it personally that they were always reminded of how lucky they were in 98. And they wanted to go out and prove everybody wrong again that they were and do it again in 99 because they were tired of hearing that. But, yeah, I mean, there, there was some – look. Also, it just happened had to be in 99 that they had to play Florida on the road that year, not at home. And honestly, the 99 Florida game went very much like the 98 Florida game in the sense that Florida 
outplayed Tennessee and did everything to give it away and almost did give it away again. But that time they were able to hold on. So let's get to some balls, getting some love, but I don't think they got enough love to be real honest with you. It is Joe Milton, Dante Thornton making the on three list of top 100 players in college football. I'll tell you where they are as part of four downs, four downs, is brought to you by our friends at Craft Treats. Four downs right now off the hook sports. Brought to you by crafttreats.com. Four downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. Four. Four downs. A presentation of off the hook sports.com. All right, so where we got Joe Milton and Dante Thornton on the top 100 list there, Caleb Calhoun. Not not high, but on the list before I tell you about crafttreats.com. Yep, we got Joe Milton at number 81 and Dante Thornton at number 95. That one just felt like a shot in the dark. The Thornton one did? Yeah, yeah, the Thornton one did. Yeah, I can make strong arguments with a transfer if I want to use old school logic that you shouldn't have a transfer on this list, but we're in a different world. So I'm cool with having Dante Thornton on there. I could also make a strong argument that a guy who is a first year starter again, so to speak, even though he started before but lost his job, shouldn't be on a top 100 list. But I'm completely cool with both being on that list. And I think they're at about the right spot, which is the bottom quarter of the spot. So, uh, yeah, I have I've zero problem with them being on there. Who else would you have on there from Tennessee's football team before we get to uh, four downs? Because I want to ask you about where you would have these guys ranked and uh, where you would have maybe another ball on this top 100 list. It has to be I, another one, right? I'd have a couple more. I'd have I'd have one of our own. I'd have Cooper Mays on here. There's not a center in the country I would take for Cooper Mays. I'd say that right now. I would also have Brew McCoy on here. And going to go to defense, I'd have Amari Thomas on here. Yeah, I got three other balls I'd put on this list before, at least before Dante Thornton, put it that way. Yeah, I I'm the one who said Dante Thornton was Kevin Durant going to Golden State. So, again, I'm the one eating crow on that. Okay. All right. First down, Brock Bowers tied in at Georgia was the top player in the SEC. Would he be your top player in the SEC? You know, he just might be. I kind of have to agree with that list. I mean, who else are we taking? Over? I mean, the SEC lost almost all of its top performers from last year. So who are we taking? I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna factor in impact. You can have a bigger impact at a corner. So I would take Kool Aid from Alabama. Uh, I would probably even take Quinchon Judkins, a running back from Ole Miss. To me, he's not number one because of his position. You do have Harold Perkins, a linebacker at LSU, that made the top ten. So, no, because of his position, I would have several people. If you had top tight end prospect in college of the past 10 years, he might be number one, but I would have to take the position of impact. I don't know specifically if that was taken into account, but I'm sorry, a tight end can only have so much of an impact on the game. So that was first down, second down, and it's not a knock on Bowers at all. Listen, he can be a Dallas Cowboy tomorrow, and I would be a happy man. Okay, 
Uh, so we asked, if not, who would you take over him in the SEC? Uh, we did that. So that was second down. Who is the most underrated player on this list from the SEC? So taking a look at the list, what player is underrated? That's a little bit more difficult. And I'll, I've got mine in place. Uh, what about you? So I haven't fully gone through the list yet, but I would have said, and I don't even know if he's on this list. So you could tell me, but is is Katie Jefferson on this list? I was looking for him and I couldn't find him. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen Jefferson on this list. I mean, it's tough to get on this list as far as quarterbacks go. The guy that I would take is uh, most underrated would probably be one of a couple of different guys. It's because... Maybe they don't play sexier positions, but uh, J.C. Latham, the offensive tackle at Ole Miss, I think they've lost a little bit of their uh, physical mojo. And if he's able to uh, to help bring that back, I think it's a big, big factor because they want to get back to that. I mean, they're not going to suddenly be triple option. They're not going to be off formation or anything like that. But to be a little bit more physical, I think he would help set that tone. So I think he's underrated at 28. The other guy that I would have, safeties are underrated too, but uh, Malachi Starks at Georgia. And the reason is kind of like the Trey Flowers thing, Caleb. I think that he covers up for some mistakes. And I wonder at times when Georgia dug a hole for themselves last year, if, if he would have – if he wouldn't have been there, had those holes been impossible to climb out of? I, I think so. I think there might have been some situations where he kept them in games, a selfless player, a lot like you talked about, Trey Flowers, and a, and a better upside. Uh, no offense. Before we get to fourth down, Craft Treats, go to crafttreats.com. Uh, my poor dog had 11 teeth taken out. So we've been having to mash up the Craft Treats with the CBD in them to help with his pain also helps with arthritis pain anxiety and don't forget that uh, they can uh, help with uh, several other issues like digestive issues those are the chill pills with the cbd derivatives you don't have to go with those they've got great holistic treats right there at crafttreats.com use the promo code off the hook that's the promo code off the hook and get 20 percent off all right so fourth down uh, before we get to why Jim Irsay doesn't think Peyton Manning is one of the best players of all time. What? What balls will be on this list next year, Caleb Calhoun? And we can spread that out to the SEC if you would like. But in particular, what balls will be on this list next year? I'm just going to go ahead, since I started this bandwagon, I'm driving it. I get credit for it. So in January the 15th, January the 31st, whatever happens with Tennessee football, look back and say Dave started this thing. Dylan Sampson will be top 30 on this list next year. Well, I can actually get with that. I can get with that. I can get with top Dylan 30? Sampson. I tried to make it high so you would easily agree. Because I knew you'd agree that he'd be on the list. If he's not top 30, if he's not top 30, then Squirrel White will be top 30. One of those two players is going to top 30 on this list. And Dave, get the sound effects ready. Nico. It's too fast. There you go. There you go. Will be on the list going into next year because this list, he's clearly basing it somewhat off potential. 
And we all know Nico's the starter going into next year. So with all the hype, he's just going to put Nico on the list. Hmm. Nico will probably be on the list. Uh, okay, so here we've, we've got some people weighing in on the message board. Well, we can't say Bazooka Joe will be on the list because he's not next year, I think. So Travis is just excited about Bazooka Joe in general. Uh, but let's go with Nico. Will he be on the list next year? I agree. Hey now. Because I think, I think that, that that's, that's just going to be a neat little thing to do uh, to have him on there. And he might play a little bit to see something. Squirrel White, will he be on the list? Caleb, what say you? Absolutely. Hey now. All right. So we both agree that Dylan Sampson will be top 30, right? I don't. I just said I could see it. I'm not going to give him top 30. Sorry. I'm going to say top 100. Okay. I'll give that. Okay. So that's a hey now. And, hey now. And that's crazy. Okay. To me. So, and then <laughs> Cam Selden. All right. Everybody get mad at me. I'm not sold on Cam, Cam Selden yet. Yeah. I've seen too many spring running backs have success. And I'm very high on Dylan Sampson. I'm solid on Jabari Small and Jalen Wright. So. I don't see Cam Selden being on this list next year. I don't see him having a breakout monster season like uh, somebody do. Uh, some people do. And I know what you guys think. You suck. Fine. Maybe I do, and maybe I'm a jackass. But I just don't – I'm not ready to get on that bandwagon until I hear it about midway through preseason camp. No. And I will or won't. I can promise you that because you'll hear it first right here on the I'm absolutely with you. First of all, if anybody watched that spring game outside of a couple of snap, a couple of um, drives with Nico and Joe, most of the skill players or any physical players at any other positions, if they played in the spring game, they were the type of players Josh Heupel doesn't plan on playing in the fall. I'm just going to tell you guys that right now. So there's he played Cam Selden because he doesn't plan on playing Cam Selden in the fall. So I think that it kind of reminds me. It's funny, we just talked to the 2005 team, and this is kind of funny that this happened because he's not funny, it's sad, but he suffered a season-ending injury and, anyway. But Dave, remember the spring practice of that year when they, like Gerald Riggs didn't even touch the ball in spring practice because they were worried about the Oh, yeah. I'll give you a couple of them. Kirsten Biggers was one. Uh, he ended up just being a career walk-on at Tennessee. I think he had 5,000 yards in spring camp. David Yancey was another one. I don't know if you remember that name. He was an engineering major, so we all wrote flowery features about him in April because he had 5 million yards in the spring. He didn't touch the ball in the fall. The only one that ended up out of this group I remember of guys that got a ton of touches in spring practice was a guy named Michael Stewart, and he transferred to Hawaii and was their leading rusher for a year or two. I mean, that's, I mean, these dudes happen, and I and I look at Cam Selden. Is what we're saying. Well, yeah, I mean, I look at Cam Selden with the eyeball test, and I don't think he's that guy. So if I had a better mortgage, I would say, yes, he is going to be an impact player. I just want to see it because of my history, and history tends to repeat itself. You're a gambler. You know that. History tends to repeat itself. So right now, I see a running back that had a great spring, no knock, but that also – has a bunch of more experienced guys sitting on the bench behind him. So I just, I want to see it. I want to see, and I don't have to see it in a game. I just have to see it in preseason camp. Jim Irsay with a shot at Peyton Manning. 
Man, oh, man. Hope Jim Mercer's taking Take care, care of himself so. and not back on the oxies. Two minutes, and we'll discuss whether Ursay is off the oxy wagon. Stay tuned. ...and Craving Wings South North Shore location, where we've heard people say that you can get the best wings in East Tennessee. Pero quien es este? El número 87, Jacob Warren. I'm just doing six of my sauce, 87, please. Imposible, señorita. Dale seis más. Look at these wings. Perfectas, deliciosas, fantásticas. Man. I don't know what you're saying, but it sounds awesome. How do you say fresh, never frozen in Spanish? Frescas, nunca congeladas. Make your way to Craven Wings and get you Seismas. But what was funny about Kate is we were a full continuum of care at that time. We had detox, we had inpatient, we had outpatient. So we were doing a lot of the things that we do now. But now we just do them so much better. It's really a simple program. But we're complicated people. I am what I am. And now I gotta do something about it. You can take your life back. Call Cadis today. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment. With a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at CCTIs.com. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasty Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasty, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vasty's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vasty Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Our family has been creating jewelry since 1986, each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. A college football tradition like no other. Yes, sirree, boys and girls. Or the guy that just won't leave. Wow. That is sad. The Dave Hooker Show, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Back to Dave Hooker. Passing of a legend over the weekend. Jim Brown passed away, and if you think about it, those that might be a little bit younger, what a pioneer and a guy that said, I'm going to be something besides just a football player. I'm going to be in movies. I'm going to do all these other things, and he did that. And now, you know, whether it's Shaquille O'Neal being in Kazam or whatever in the world he was in, and, and, and all these other people – Pursuing other sorts of things, you don't see that, Caleb. Uh, or you see that all the time, Caleb. You didn't see that in Jim Brown's day. Uh, so, uh, so he passes away, and Jim Irsay had a tweet. And everybody feels like they need to tweet out or make some sort of statement on somebody they 
they didn't really know because he was a big name and it's an opportunity to get on board there and be a, a, a part of the game. And Jim Irsay, who's quirky to say the very least, had what to say about the top football players of all time. By the way, Jim Brown also, and Travis mentioned this, um, Jim Brown also was a guy that hung it up early because he realized that it wasn't worth the wear and tear on his body. So guys that have done that since, um, you want to take um, Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson are two examples. There have been other guys that have hung it up early. Uh, Andrew Luck. So, I mean, nobody did that back then because they needed the money and it was the best money they could make, but they were still working odd jobs in the offseason. So, what did Jim Ursay tweet? I've told you my Ursay story about he showed up to an interview heavily intoxicated at 10 in the morning, right? I think you did tell me about that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. He did. Uh, this was back in 19, it was shortly after Peyton got drafted. So this would have been in 1998. So what do you got on Jim Ursay and what's he saying about Jim Brown? So Jim Ursay had a tweet that on its face wouldn't, wouldn't have been an issue. If I just give you the headline, which is he has his top five greatest NFL players of all time, and he has Jim Brown at the top, and he leaves off Peyton Manning, the guy responsible for winning him his only Super Bowl. Here's what I think upsets a lot of people. He leaves off Peyton Manning. But give me the top five. Give me the top five. Real top quick. five is one Jim Brown, two Tom Brady, three John Elway, four Deacon Jones, and five a former Vol Reggie White. But to have John Elway over Peyton Manning when you are the guy who drafted Peyton Manning and he won you a Super Bowl, and by any metric you use, Peyton Manning is a greater quarterback all time than John Elway. That's insane. Right. And so he does, another, he does another tweet where he goes, no doubt Peyton, Barry Sanders, and Jerry Rice are top 10. It's just that, quote, Elway didn't have great offensive players around him till the end when he won two in a row, and his feet were remarkable from baseball talents. Here's what I'm gathering with Jim Mercy. He is trying to cover up the fact, something I've said for a long time, that he didn't really surround Peyton with a lot of good talent. Now, early in Peyton's career, he did when Bill Polian was there, but I think Chris took over in like 2006. And from the latter half of Peyton Manning's Indy, he was left with nothing. And that got exposed when Peyton Manning was forced out the back door and they drafted Andrew Luck, who was a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, but was stuck with horrible support around him in Indianapolis. Well, Wait just a second, though. I mean, they had Edger and James. They had... That's the first half of his career. I, I understand. They had Harrison. They had Reggie Wayne. They had Dallas Clark. Even though that's first half of his career, and they may have stumbled later, I don't think a quarterback can really complain when you play with those guys for eight-ish years. Look, I... Okay, I'm, I'm going to go here, and I don't like to do... You know why he didn't have that ever? One, I got no problem saying Dallas Clark was massively overrated. Was a massively overrated tight end. Was a complete product of Peyton Manning. You could plug anybody. That was the most ultimate system player. You could have plugged anybody into that tight end role. Edger and James was also overrated. In case you forgot, the Colts won their Super Bowl the year after he left. And I'm going to be blasphemous right here. But I'm not so sure Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne are Hall of Fame caliber receivers. If it's not, I don't. I think they're good receivers made into Hall of Famers. Marvin Harrison was what five eleven. Okay, first of all, I'll give you a little bit of that on Marvin Harrison. They had things rolling, and nobody knew how to defend Peyton Manning. 
I actually think that Reggie Wayne was a more talented receiver and would have been a pro bowler, all pro type of guy, borderline Hall of Fame type of guy anywhere. As long as he, I mean, when I say anywhere, as long as he wasn't in a disaster situation, okay, like the Detroit Lions were back then. I I don't want to say anywhere, anywhere. But as long as he had a competent quarterback, I think he would have been that good. I liked Edger and James a lot. It surprises me you, you say that. Dallas Clark, I'll half agree with you on because you had to be a strictly receiving tight end, right? I mean, I mean, Jason Witten was a great combo tight end. There, Brent Jones going back for the San Francisco 49ers, great combo tight end. But you had to absolutely just be a receiving tight end. Doesn't matter who you block. So he could go with the wrong team and be a Dallas nobody. Okay, and you so didn't have you to be that. a receiving mismatch like Rob Gronkowski is. You just had to have hands. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. So, well, he, he was a poor man's Rob Gronkowski, in my opinion. Wasn't that athletic, wasn't that good, but, yes, played a similar role, if that makes sense. So, here's my problem with the Ursay tweet. Is you do include a quarterback on there, you drafted him, and it feels like sour grapes because you didn't give him – the second chance that he wanted and Denver did. So here's what I was told about Peyton Manning before he went to Denver, that his handshake was so weak that they thought this is a very close friend of the family thought that he would never play football again in the year that he took off. Now he may have done the stem cells in Europe and all that. And I think he did. And that's fine. Whatever. I know that that's a political hot topic issue that I don't want to get into, but whatever, he was good enough to win another Super Bowl. So if Jim Irsay regrets that, he shouldn't because he wouldn't have put the type of talent around Peyton Manning in Indianapolis that Denver did because they went all out. They were one of the first teams. They said, we're going to spin now to win this thing. and We don't care what the salary cap looks like in three years, right? So Irsay wouldn't have done that. And to not include him on that list is just disgustingly terrible. And to include another quarterback on that list is insane. John Elway was the best prospect from top to bottom. And Peyton Manning probably wasn't on the top 100 list of best prospects at quarterback because of his physical ability. But fine, if you want to put that on there. But you can't say John Elway because he has two Super Bowls, is better than Joe Montana, Tom Brady, a, a, a Peyton Manning. Um, I'm not even sure that he's – I think it's a coin flip with him and Aaron Rodgers uh, because of the way Aaron fits into this, this time frame where you have to throw and be multiple and throw from weird angles. But, yeah, I think this was – very disturbing um, by Jim Mersey to say that. I think it was disappointing. I think it was idiotic. Yeah, and let's not also forget this. Remember, John Elway humiliated Jim Mersey's dad. Just straight up said, I refuse to play for the Colts. That's true. And it was about their own. And he made the right decision because at that time, the Colts were incompetently run because Bob Mersey was – Jim Mersey had his demons. He got that from his father, who also had his demons. And I'm with you. This is sour grapes. I think I've heard some rumors that I think Jim Mercy was sour grapes that Peyton Manning would not enter the Hall of Fame as a Colt specifically. 
he didn't choose a team between the Colts or the Broncos. How did Peyton enter it? Uh, he didn't enter as a Bronco, did he? No, he didn't enter it as a, as a member of a team specifically. Just, I, I think you can choose. That's not as big of a deal as it is in baseball, right? Right. I don't think it's as big of a deal as it is in baseball. But it's still one of those things where I think Ursay wanted – he, he wants people to remember, like, Peyton as a cult, but it's like, you did force him out the back door. By the way, I don't blame him at the time for doing that. We didn't know how good – we didn't know if Peyton could throw again. And you had, by all accounts, the best prospects since John Elway and Andrew Luck and the number one pick. I think it makes sense at that point you go with Andrew Luck. But No, I thought, I thought the Colts did the right thing. But, again, I, I had the family friend who told me that he'll probably never throw a football again that his handshake was that weak, and they thought he had something similar to what his brother Cooper had. So, I, mean, I don't I don't have a problem with what the Colts did, and I don't think Peyton Manning does either for them making that move, but let's remember this. Peyton Manning is a guy that can get perturbed off the smallest things because he's so ultra-competitive, kind of like Michael Jordan, and he'll never forget it. So, Michael Jordan will never speak to Charles Barkley again, there are some media members that Peyton Manning will never speak to again because of a column that he may have written 20 years ago. But uh, Jim Brown, Tom Brady, John Elway, Deacon Jones, Reggie White, I'll give him some kudos for the Deacon Jones thing. Deacon Jones, they didn't count up sacks. I think Deacon Jones, if you, I don't know why they can't do this at NFL Films, they have all the tape. I think it would be awesome but they don't want it to make it look like the, the, the guys that they celebrate now don't have the records. Deacon Jones probably had more sacks than anybody in the NFL. But would you probably. say Deacon Jones was a more impactful defensive player than Lawrence Taylor? No. That's the thing. No. This is Jim Murphy list. Like, Peyton no, Manning I would have Taylor, Taylor on this there. No, I mean, okay, so Peyton Manning would be on this list because, to me, he was a, a transformative player. He was the guy who came to the line – and it was the old freeze plays that they ran at Tennessee where you had two plays at the line of scrimmage, and the Omaha-Omaha was telling them which play to be in. So in no particular order, I would I, – you have to have Tom Brady on this list. I would have Peyton Manning on this list, so I'm going to stop at quarterbacks right there. I would have Lawrence Taylor on this list and because that's the reason the movie Blindside was created was because of Lawrence Taylor. Because you had to have somebody that could protect someone's blind side, and Joe Theismann got his leg broken in half. And it changed the way the game was played. As far as other guys that changed the the way the game was played, I mean, that's a very short list because it is a, it is a game's game. It's not a player's game. Like when LeBron James comes in and makes it positionless basketball and that sort of thing. So... Those are my top three that immediately come to my mind. I'd lean towards quarterbacks and probably have a Montana in there um, and and some other guys. But, but that's the gold standard of quarterbacks, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, right? Those three, like you don't put anybody above those three. I don't. Yeah. No. I, I don't feel like you do either. I mean, maybe I, I would say maybe Dan Marino. I know people say Dan Marino never won a ring, but he probably had the best arm. But then I, I've read, I don't know how you know. I've read stories where it's kind of Dan Marino's fault he never won a ring because he fought having a running game this whole time in Miami. But in terms of raw arm talent, Dan Marino probably had the best arm talent of any quarterback ever, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would take Marino as the best thrower, no question about it. So 
and quickest released and best overall. I would take John Elway slightly because of his mobility. So Michael or somebody asked me about that on the message board. Michael or as a left tackle was highly valued and all left tackles were because of Lawrence Taylor. If you watch, if you watch the movie, I mean, that's the lead in. If you read the book, that's the lead in. The movie, the book is also a lie, but yes. (laughs) Yeah. But he, he changed, but that was the left tackle was just another offensive lineman before Lawrence Taylor was so disruptive and not just from breaking Joe Thousman's leg in half, but that was part of it. So, I mean that Lawrence Taylor changed the way the game was played. Also, it, there was there wasn't a halfback. You know how you see Jacob Warren going in motion back and forth. That mm-hmm. they didn't do that at tight end before Lawrence Taylor. So Lawrence Taylor has to be on there, no question. Deion Sanders, as I round out my top five slowly, is on my top five. So right now I'm at Peyton, Tom Brady, Joe Montana. LT, Deion Sanders. That's my five. In terms of impact, I could get with you on that. I just, my thing is like Deion Sanders, there's always that drawback of never tackle. And there is also the fact that like Deion Sanders, here's the thing that we have to say with Deion Sanders. <laughs> gave up a lot of, gave up a lot of yards to elite receivers. I've seen him. I've seen the stats of his matchups with Jerry Rice and Michael Irvin back in the day. They always got into the nineties and a hundred yard. Uh, Scott wise when they played him now a lot Deion yeah. Sanders, from, it sounds like Deion Sanders consistently tried to give cushions so he could try to get that interception yeah he got he got bored and he would gamble and it was frustrating uh there's no question about it because he wanted more interceptions because people threw away from him um so th- I mean that would roughly be my top five I could probably to be real honest with you be talked into dropping Joe Montana for my top five and putting Reggie White in there. And the reason I would put Reggie White in there in front of a lot of other guys was Reggie White, to me, was as good of a run stopper as he was a pass rusher, and he was one of the best pass rushers of all time. Yeah, he was a defensive tackle in college. So that's the funny thing. I think he was drafted as a defensive tackle, and they moved him to end because of how raw, amazing of a pass rusher he was. Travis says only Cowboys fans and FSU guys would have Dion top 10. Yeah. No. I, mean, I feel like Dion, I feel like Dion did more, did not do as he was a smart player in the sense that he looked out for himself in his own. And I don't blame him for doing that, but I do think that kind of came at the detriment of teams sometimes. Um, not as often as you would think. If you watch those games, if the game was at all in question, it was obvious that Dion's guy was shut down. Like you just flipped a switch. And then on the flip side, you had the rest of the defense that had to worry about the other receiver, receivers, tight end or whatever. When you really watched those games and soaked them in, Dion is as flashy as he is, was one of those guys. And I say this about uh, Trooper Taylor and Bruce Pearl. A lot of flash, but a lot of substance. And I believe that with Dion. I think he was that impactful in the game. But Jimmy Himes agrees with you. We've had this discussion before about did did the Cowboys really need Dion to win that third Super Bowl? I thought they did. All right, so here we go. Uh, Jim Brown's passing too. So we've 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 determined that Jim Mersey's list is uh, absolutely horrible. But in terms of Jim Brown's uh, passing over the weekend. There's a tie to Tennessee that a lot of people may not know that Jim Brown has to Johnny Majors and the Heisman Trophy. 
of which I don't blame Tennessee fans for hating forever and ever and ever. But what is that? Because you brought this to my attention. I was not aware of this. So the Heisman Trophy, before Peyton Manning, guys, just over 40 years before 1956, there was another Tennessee player to finish second to Heisman. And I argue that this one was more egregious than even Peyton Manning and Charles Woodson, although that one was pretty egregious. And it was Johnny Major finishing second to Paul Hornum. Majors was Tennessee's leading rusher and passer in 1956, led them to a 10-0 record, an SEC title, All-American. And he lost it to a guy, a Notre Dame quarterback, who went 2-8 and eight with mm-hmm. three touchdowns and 13 interceptions in Paul Hornug. Now, the tie is that Johnny Majors, I always used to think that because he finished second, I just go straight to Johnny Majors got completely robbed. But the honest truth is Jim Brown may have been the most robbed player of that Heisman group. Jim Brown at Syracuse finished fifth, and he averaged over six yards a carry, had 13 touchdowns there. I think it was the 50s, so I think it's fair to suggest there may have been a racial element that kept Jim Brown from being higher and winning that Heisman Trophy. At that time, possibly. At that time. And so – you ask, in Syracuse, they had a Heisman running back right after Jim Brown. I forget his name, but there's a movie about him that was – he was really, really famous. And it was about, you know, one of the first – one of the first black players to really make an impact on college football beyond beyond historically black colleges. And he was a really big deal. But basically, Jim Brown kind of paved the way for him. But either way, Majors and Brown both got robbed out of that Heisman from Paul Hornug. The question becomes – who deserves it between Johnny Majors and Jim Brown? <laughs> you know, the irony of that, too, you take those three guys and you have Johnny Majors who went on to help a player win a Heisman Trophy, who went on to win a national championship at Pitt, who got rebuilt his home school in Tennessee to a championship level, didn't quite win that title, but got him back to a championship level. You have Jim Brown, who was just a had a phenomenal personal career in terms of of Hollywood for players at that time. That just didn't happen. And he was it the the Dirty Eleven or whatever it was called, or the I can't remember the name of the movie that he was in. But he just seemed like another actor. He didn't seem like an athlete trying to be an actor, which was pretty phenomenal. And then the one guy that. Did end up winning that uh, Heisman that year, which is so funny how history can unfold. He was actually the one that was suspended for gambling at one point on NFL games. So the golden boy was not that golden. I mean, can you imagine something like that happening today? I haven't heard Calvin Ridley's name since he was involved in it gambling on Vandal. Can you imagine, though, back then, going and finding a shady bookie? Because that's what you had to do in order to gamble and being involved with something like that. He had a minimal suspension. Nowadays, you're gone. You're out. You're done, right? That's true. You're right. That's a very good point. And it speaks to... We talked about this last week. I I, I agree with you historically Notre Dame had the most media love. I just said Florida State in recent years, but Notre Dame had it the most. But Paul Hornick played for two teams that were the most beloved by the media. One, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Get, particularly during this time, the 1950s, get the, got the most preferential treatment you could ever ask for. 
Then he went to play in Green Bay. And I'm, my wife is going to kill me. She's probably hearing me say this right now, but I'm going to say Green Bay gets the most annoying love. Green Bay players get the most annoying shield and protection from the media. And they get covered for so long that when they turn out to be terrible people, we all act shocked. Brett Favre got cover for years when he was really a terrible person. Aaron Rodgers got cover for years when he was he was an ultimate diva 10 years ago. And we just didn't pay attention because, you know, we love Green Bay, the small town franchise. You know, the, 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 the fans own the team. And there's just this love fest with Green Bay. And Paul Hornick played for Green Bay the same way he played for Notre Dame. And I think just the concept of that is why he was beloved so much by the way i just wanted to point out yeah it was i see it on the message boards uh, ernie davis was the guy who won the heisman after jim brown played for syracuse he was the first black heisman winner but yeah hornock had no business winning that and for the record if you guys want to know how disrespected jim brown was tommy mcdonald was third in that heisman list he had about 800 yards rushing 12 touchdowns but ahead of jim brown an offensive lineman was on the list jerry tubbs for oklahoma and how do you have an offensive lineman over a running back come on uh, not sure. Coming up, hang tight. Two minutes why Georgia will not win a third straight national title. And I didn't say it, a Georgia cat did. So don't get mad at me, Georgia fans. Back in two minutes off those sports. Sun, sand, and salt water. The beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. There's your Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry, I'm a jeweler and we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. When you want a hard cider that's easy to enjoy, one that's crafted to perfection, you need Tennessee Cider Company. Some say it's the signature cider of the South. Others say it's the cure to your craving. They all say you'll savor every sip. With a selection of ciders free to sample, all it takes is one taste. Visit TNCiderCompany.com for more information, as well as to shop our ciders and merchandise online. Thirsty yet? Doors open at 10 a.m. Uh, who's, who's this, this guy? guy? Oh, the Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports, what? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. 
Back, back to, to Dave, Dave Hooker. Hooker. Welcome, Welcome back to Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. We broadcast live at 10 a.m. Eastern. We certainly appreciate it when you join us. There are some people who get mad at me when I criticize Georgia. And I don't really understand why, because I don't do it often, because they're pretty hard to criticize. Caleb, you win two championships, and I don't know really how you can criticize them. But I did want to reference something that was said on uh, ESPN.com by Mark Slaybaugh, who we love, who does a fantastic job covering uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. And as a matter of fact, I love his Masters uh, coverage. Why they won't win a third straight national title. He says no team in modern football history, college FBS history, has won three straight national championships. Georgia, which waited 41 years, won a national title before finally getting over the hump in 2021. We'll have a chance to do it this upcoming season after setting an NFL draft record with 15 players in 2022, including five defensive starters in the first round. Georgia still managed to finish 15-0 and win its second straight college football playoff national championship this past season. Three more players, Jalen Carter, Broderick Jones, and edge rusher Nolan Smith. Carter, of course, the defensive tackle, offensive tackle Broderick Jones, were picked in the first round Thursday. They also lost Stetson Bennett, held back Kenny McIntosh. Uh, they lost cornerback uh, Kelly Ringo and tied it Darnell Washington to, to the, the pros. pros. Offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, who helped Kirby Smart to get his program past the finish line, left for the same position with the Baltimore Ravens. They replaced him with Mike Bobo, who played quarterback at Georgia. His second tenure for Bobo, as we mentioned before. So reality check by Mark Schleybaugh is this. Until someone knocks off Georgia in the SEC, it will be among the favorites to win a national championship every season. Spartan and staff have stockpiled much talent. Athens, Georgia... Safety uh, Malachi Starks and in Michael Williams were starters as freshmen last season. Georgia linebacker court, uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson, uh, Mondon Jr., and Jalen Walker is as good as any in the FBS. Carson Beck will probably end up winning uh, the quarterback job and he'll have Brock Bowers to throw to. So I asked this as far as Georgia right now. Are they ready to reload again? Because this is an overreaction piece that they won't win a championship, which to me, there's no overreaction to saying any program in the history of man isn't going to win a third straight title. Because to win a third straight title is pretty darn impossible. Are they to the reload point? Did you see enough last year where they could use lose three more first-round picks and you have no worries about Georgia, or do you say Save to yourself, yourself, they made the rise, and now they could slip a bit? I think the only worry comes with the discipline issues that you're seeing with Kirby Smart, but I think they're at a level where they can just reload easily. They've had two – so 20 – this back-to-back national championship program, I will say this, was basically – formed during the 2018 recruiting class, which is still the greatest recruiting class in college football history. Just go back and look at it, guys. Like, that class was amazing. That's the class Cade Mays was part of, funny enough. But that spawned two straight national titles. The recruiting really hasn't slipped since then. And also, here's the weird thing, Dave. We we cover two parts of recruiting. 
There's the rankings and the star ratings, and that all matters. And then there's an analysis of the politicking of it and where are kids overrated. I sometimes feel like Georgia high school kids are still underrated in terms of how good they are. If you look at the NFL talent the state produces. And so I'm like, if Georgia has a number three class, it might be the number one class. And it is, here's the thing with Georgia. I've, I've been talking about how great of a job LSU is. Well, Georgia technically has a power five program in the same state as them, which is Georgia Tech. That's not a real power five program they're competing with for Georgia recruits. Georgia is at a level, Kirby Smart's at a level right now where if a top, if he wants a top kid in Georgia, he's almost always getting that top kid in Georgia. And that is a really scary situation for Georgia talent-wise, for tennis, for the rest of the SEC talent-wise going forward. Okay, so what's the biggest threat to Georgia's continued success, short-term and long-term? Discipline. I, I think it's discipline. I think if players continue to get in trouble – you are going to have situations where you are going to have parents not want their kids to go there. And we've seen that in before in other programs. I agree. Short term is the quarterback position. I think they fed off Stetson Bennett's confidence slash arrogance, depending on which side you, you root for. Um, so that's short term. But discipline is an issue. I saw this happen in Tennessee where discipline slipped after the 98-99 team and – uh, they were still at the championship level in 2001, but then you started to see guys that got away with stuff and could. One player told me that, I'm going to say who, but he was a star player that you would know. He said that uh, one of his teammates that couldn't play, or sorry, roommates slash teammates, one of his roommates that couldn't play got kicked off the team because he failed two drug tests and both were from marijuana. So the old rule used to be, that you could fail two drug tests and the third drug test you were kicked off. Cocaine and hard drugs counted twice. Okay, so that would be a two strike and you're out instead of a three strike and you're out. So this guy said, I probably failed 30 drug tests in my career at Tennessee and I could play. So it didn't matter. You would know exactly who it is. I'm not going to say his name. He was never kicked off. So there was the mindset and the culture that as long as you could play, you could get away with whatever you wanted. And that undermines your discipline both on and off the field. So the biggest concern for you, Georgia fan, is discipline. Because it has lacked in terms of and listen, it's one thing for a guy to go out and race a car and something horrible happen as it did. It's another thing for a teammate to be involved and a staffer to be involved. That, to me, is not a guy who's just going out and has an obsession with fast cars. That's something that they do for funsies. And I know Athens has that problem in, in general. But you can't be a part of that. And we've heard of too many issues with and this is the front end of this. Everything could get cleaned up. It's the front end. Right now, we've heard too many issues with discipline to for me to think that this is a long-term thing like Nick Saban. Do they have the talent level? Yes. But do they have the right mindset, the right culture? I think it's very fair to ask that question, Kelly. Absolutely. And for people who really want to go back to the former years, if you want to know where it all came to a head, I think it culminated – with right before the last year he got fired, 
Britton Colquitt gets another a second DUI while on campus and crashes a car that he was driving on a suspended license. And Fulmer did not dismiss him from the team because he had a backup punter. He didn't have a backup punter. And that was a hideous look for Tennessee at that point. Yeah, I think he was suspended four games. Is that right? So I think it was five or something like that. But it was it was prompted John Adams finally. That was the moment that prompted John Adams to call for Fulmer's firing right there, where he said that's just a it was a blatant lack of leadership to not kick Britton Colquitt off the team in 2008. And well, and another one that I know more about behind the scenes, and I don't mind sharing now, is James Banks. You and I have talked about it. James Banks would get in trouble in practice, be told to run, and he wouldn't run. He would just go stand on the sidelines and do deep knee bends, like air squats, they call them now. And he got away with what he wanted to because he was a player. There were other guys that were players that got away with what they wanted to. It really started in 99, to be real honest with you, after after the national championship season. But it didn't start really slipping and sliding. You mentioned Colquitt. To me, the one guy that embodied it the most was James Banks. Because he had so much talent. You and I have talked about it. I'm not exaggerating. He could be going into the Hall of Fame right about now, the NFL Hall of Fame. He had that much talent. And maybe it would have been best for him, to for Philip Fulmer, just to kick him off the team right then and there. I don't know. Maybe James Banks was determined to waste his ability no matter what. But the one thing that Philip Fulmer, I think if he could go back and redo, would be absolutely 100% not, zero, no chance. Let guys like James Banks get away with stuff because they could play. Because that ended up costing them both discipline on and off the field set the wrong culture, made players start to question his decisions. I think they questioned his decision decision in 2005 to play Ainge over Clawson. It just, the whole thing started to crumble apart. And it was the early 2000s when that happened. So what does that say for Georgia? Might say nothing. You might be perfectly fine. But there are little bitty signs that I look at that I think should concern you. And maybe they get cleared up. But maybe, just maybe, you find yourself in a position where there's this slow, almost decade-long erosion of competing for championships. And if that's the case, then you're not going to be real happy with the next 10 years. And this, in Fulmer's case, I think it was more like seven or eight or so that it slid downhill. But And look at Florida, by the way. Florida still is reeling from what or from Urban Meyer, who, unlike former, thumbed his nose to the public, said, I don't even care to discipline my players. And- yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> you bring in Florida. Credit Steve Spurrier for keeping that at a 10-win level forever. And why did he do that? Because his discipline never waned. And Steve Spurrier had a hard and fast rule. If you hit a woman, we just don't want you around here. That's the way you used to say, maybe you can go somewhere else to play. That's fine. Just don't want you on our team. And so his discipline never waned. Did his offense get caught up with a little bit? Yeah. Did he get burned out by the fans who weren't happy with a 10-win season? Yeah. But it was never a discipline issue. And I think Georgia needs to be very wary of the direction they're going in terms of a discipline issue. 
because that starts to erode and you can't get it back. It's just like a disciplined coach like Nick Saban can go to be more of a player's coach, but a player's coach can't turn into a disciplined coach. You can't go the other way, Caleb. You can just go one way. You can't go back. Yeah. And if that is in your culture, parents will notice even kids from Bobby Bowden had a great point one time. He said this now he, 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 was a little lax on discipline for nonviolent things, but he was a little, I know he was tough on discipline for criminal things, but Bobby Bowden had a great saying one time. He said, I'm talking about kids that may come from the hood or rough backgrounds. He said, even if their parents are terrible people, they don't want their kids being terrible people. <laughs> he said, nobody really wants their kids to be terrible. So he said, even with parent, with kids whose parents may not be the best, they're still going to worry about what's best for their kid when they're going to college. Cause they don't want their kid to end up like them. Nope. Great point. Doesn't mean that Georgia doesn't win the national championship this year. And who's going to turn down three titles in a row if they have discipline long term? But it's something to keep an eye on, Georgia fan. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that right now. I don't crow a lot. I don't brag when I'm right. By the way, portions of the program brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning, cityheatandair.com. Integrity matters 50 years in Knoxville. May not need a new unit when it gets hot. You just might need a part or Freon. They can save you money. I also want to thank Bassey Lawn and Guard, Man Alive. It's worth a drive. Industrial mowers, commercial mowers right there in Cleveland, Tennessee. Whether you're in Knoxville, Chattanooga, or how about Nashville? Cleveland, Tennessee, Man Alive. It's worth the drive. I go to Bassey.com to learn more. All right. So I don't I don't crow a lot, but there have been a lot of people that have said the Big Ten, man, they did a lot better in this TV deal there. And uh, they're gonna dominate with that big big ten show and all that good stuff. And ESPN just signed or just signed. The SEC and the SEC should have gotten more and diversified and all this good stuff. And I just sat back the whole time and I said to myself, if the SEC is on a regular schedule, noon, 3.30, it's one of my gripes about college football that you have to check and see what time they're on. You do it just like the NFL. Regular, regular schedule, ESPN's ESPN place to go starting at 8 o'clock in the morning with college game day or 9 o'clock in the morning, whatever, and you keep it on there all day and you watch the best football in the nation, that's the way to go. Other people said the Big Ten went to uh, they went to CBS and they went to the Big Ten Network and they did all these things to get on different networks and suddenly you're changing channels and you're flipping all over the place. I thought, the, I thought ESPN and the SEC had a better plan than the Big Ten and I may be right. Not that I would crow, Caleb, but what have we learned about the Big Ten TV deal? And did they perhaps rush into things a little bit? Yeah, I'm the one eating crow because I'm like, how could the Big Ten get a deal worth twice as much as the SEC when the Big Ten brand is still not as good as the SECs, even with USC and UCLA? So it's kind of explained now. It sounds like Kevin Warren rushed into some TV deals without actually addressing already embedded contracts. I'm just going to give a few of these. One is no one's fault. There's three issues right now with the Big Ten. One, the league owes $25 million to Fox, still because of all the games lost due to COVID. There, nobody's fault. But we have to give Greg Sankey credit for the way he handled it. 
let's be honest, Greg Sankey handled COVID better than any commissioner in college football. The SEC played a full schedule that year, 10-game schedule, and they got their money on TV revenue for it. And that was smart. The other one, when Kevin Warren negotiated with all these different contracts, one of the things he delivered was the Big Ten title game will be on NBC in 2026. Here's the problem. He didn't have the authority to do that because the Big Ten network controls the programming rights for the Big Ten, including the title game, and that's majority owned by Fox at least until 2029. So unless they get something squared away, it's going to cost the conference $40 million to resolve that issue. Now, here's the big one. I had never thought about this. Dave, I didn't know if you knew this, but the Big Ten teams in the North don't like playing night games in November. And I never thought about it. I'm like, okay, it gets cold for player safety. They don't like night games. They prefer the new games. So Soft. <laughs> the Big Ten signed this deal with NBC wanting to – their goal was this. They wanted games to be from noon Eastern time all the way through midnight Pacific time. That was, they wanted games on the entire time. Part of that was trying to get big, was trying to get some Eastern time, central time games on NBC at night. Well, this violates some of the contracts the schools sign with the big 10, where they don't have to play night games past the first week in November. And apparently soft. Well, to be fair, we can't say that as SEC people because SEC doesn't play in the cold ever. So, I mean, like, we don't know how the SEC Oh, (laughs) boy, I can say that. I've been places for a noon start that were 108 degrees with the heat index and humidity. So, don't tell me I – in an open press box, don't tell me I haven't been uncomfortable. And that, by the way – can be dangerous to a player's health, Caleb. Oh, I don't I mean, think that can be allowed either. I'm going to be honest. I don't think. That's okay, but yeah, I mean, we got to play the football set sometime. Okay, yeah. so yeah, don't do. I mean, soft. I well, mean, here's the issue: Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State are all trying to back up playing night games in November, and they might actually win out. Now, what's the Big Ten going to do if this NBC paid all this money? I don't think MS, I don't think NBC paid all this money to have Maryland and Iowa play on their primetime slot game. No, (laughs) they did not. (laughs) Listen, I've said this from the get. Business is somewhat just common sense, Caleb. I mean, going out and getting Southern California and UCLA that are in some cases three time zones away is just stupid. I understand that you get the L.A. market, but you're not going to, for television rights, but you're not going to grow the Big Ten into L.A. They they don't even know when football season's held. I have to do business out there every once in a while. They don't even know when the season is half the time. So it's not like you're going to grow a Big Ten market in L.A. So I had no faith in this television agreement, and I thought that it would have major potholes along the way. We're seeing that. So go ahead when you put the thumbnail together for this video, just say, is the Big Ten stupid or soft? There you go. That's your thumbnail, Caleb, because that's your headline. Because this is 
how do you not know these things going in? And why do you think you can grow your brand into LA? Just the whole thing is dumb. Well, I think the Big Ten, it wasn't the big, it, the question was the Big Ten's bet was not whether or not they're stupid or soft. They knew <laughs> rightly that advertisers and networks are still stupid. Okay, so NBC is stupid. CBS is stupid. Fox is stupid. They made they paid for the Big Ten based on the markets that the Big Ten are in. So is that so? Who's dumb on that point? Is the Big Ten dumb, or are they just fleecing the fact that the networks are dumb? I I, I don't know, but it's it's not Big Ten that was smart at that point. Yeah, but it's not a great way to start a business relationship when you go into it and like, oops, I owe these other people millions of dollars, and oops, you can't provide what I wanted you to provide because of my own stupid rules. So to me, the Big Ten is just well, their their business model. What was the what was the AAC thing that you brought up about academics? Oh, the, yeah, their their schools have to be they have to be AAU member schools because the Big Ten isn't it's part of the requirements to get in the Big Ten. It's actually technically a research collection of schools too, so they do collaborative research projects and things like that. So you have to be an AAU affiliated school. They are going to make the let's be honest, that's not going to last because Notre Dame's not an AAU school. I guarantee you, if Notre Dame is available, the Big Ten would take them tomorrow. That's an open invitation. Okay, but my point is. They're smarter people. They, I get really bothered by the fact there are some Big Ten people that think that they are just a smarter, smarter conference, conference than the SEC. And it goes back to years ago. It goes back to years ago when you have a, you looked at the SEC, the South has been dumb. The South is dumb. You're dumb people because you're in the South. No, there are smarter people running the SEC than the Big Ten. There are as many smart people in the South than there is the uh, the, the Northwest. That, to me, just infuriates me. I had somebody one time say to me, he was a big Michigan State fan, and I said, well, you guys really should watch. I was a smart aleck. And I said, you guys should really watch SEC football because it's way better because we were watching a Big Ten game. I said, I feel like this is in slow motion, like you've dialed down the speed. And he goes, well, uh, higher academics in the Big Ten. To hell, the, excuse me. To heck, there's, there is not. Well, also, I, the football it, programs, it ain't like there's rocket scientists on Michigan State. Thank you. If Michigan wants a kid that is a five-star guy, they're going to find a way to get the kid in. I mean, that was so – just uh, – you talk about one of my pet peeves. You touched on it, and I saw it when we talked about it during our, uh, a, pre, a pre-show at about um, 5 a.m. We have it every morning. <clears throat> and I thought to myself, this reminds me of that dude from Michigan State that made me so angry. The South is full of smart people. Now, to be fair, Notre Dame does get to claim that because they don't change their standards for the athletes. <laughs> oh, and so does Vanderbilt. And so does Northwestern. You're right. Those three. And but, 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 but as a whole, to broad brush the thing is idiotic. Oh, I agree. I agree. Uh, well, that's the thing. The AAU thing, that's just a – I don't think it's a required – Big Ten doesn't have academic standards for the football players. But it's just – it's because it's also like the SEC is a sports conference, whereas the Big Ten is a – sports conference plus a research collaborative conference. So like the school, so they have, that's why they do that. I don't, 
But yeah, what's throwing me off here is what I think happened with USC and UCLA, and I think I know this, I think one of the reasons UCLA and USC made that move is the Big Ten thought that they were going to add it, had basically led them to believe they were going to add in Oregon and Washington and Stanford to have better travel. Well, sounds like the Big Ten did some research on their own and decided they're not going to get their return by expanding into the Pacific Northwest. At that point, they're... Thank you. <laughs> and so or... now, that's why they're looking at the ACC now, at which what USC and UCLA are really unhappy because they're going to have... SoCal. Or SoCal. They're not gonna they're not gonna turn that into a big ten town. People in LA are not gonna say, What am I gonna do today? Um, I wanted to surf. I maybe wanted to um go to a Dodgers game. I maybe wanted to um I don't know, go hiking. I maybe wanted to g- g- go see a movie or go to downtown LA and tour the Spielberg Museum. Or oh, I know what I wanna do. I want to watch Purdue Rutgers. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, when they even me, a college that, football fan, would rather surf than watch Purdue Rutgers. Yes, I mean, when that was reported, I actually thought to myself the first time I saw UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten, I thought to myself it may be a joke. I am not kidding. Well. Again, the move with that was to fleece the networks because the networks are going to be stupid to pay for that. Now, what they realize is the networks weren't going to be stupid enough to pay. I mean, the networks, like NBC is not going to think, oh my God, Seattle's in this market now. Let me pay another billion dollars. They they were stupid enough to do that for the LA market. They were dumb enough to do that for the LA market. They're not doing that for the Eugene, Oregon or the Seattle, Washington markets. Whenever you're watching, we greatly appreciate it. We broadcast live at 10 a.m. If you want to interact with the show, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.